So if you'll take your notes, and uh, we are picking up, I'm not sure what page it's on, but we're going to be talking about why Jesus' mission must matter to me. So a couple things um, as we're, you're, you're turning there. Um, remember, I got my eye on the clock, quarter till I stop. Wherever we are in these notes, this is where I, I just I, I drop off. Um, I have some additional notes besides these, and if they are, there are additional notes, they will come up on the screen so you can jot those down. Uh, we may or may not get to those today, but um, be assured I'm, I'm keeping an eye on the time this morning. Uh, also, if you um, are giving today, remember that we don't pass offering plates anymore uh, post-COVID, so there are baskets at each exit door where you can uh, drop off your offering, and if you have it with you this morning, we are so grateful that as we give, not only to Ray Roberts, but every week to our church, we are giving not just for brick and mortar, we are giving so that we can see the gospel change the hearts and the lives of people. We are also, in addition to this, we are in the process of putting together an outreach team, and I think a, a part of that team's already been put together, and the purpose of that outreach team is going to help us as a church to live out what we are learning in this study. We don't want to just go through this book and, you know, fill out the notes and throw it on a shelf and, you know, there it goes and you forget about it and it doesn't get implemented in your life. We want this to become a part of your lifestyle. It's about lifestyle evangelism. It's not about an event. Right? Evangelism is not a, an event. It is a lifestyle. And we want to provide avenues for our church both you personally as well as your family, how you can engage and be involved in the outreach of this church into our community and, and beyond. So having said all this, I don't know if you know these authors, Tom Peters and Ken Blanchard. Tom Peters wrote a book many years ago called Thriving in Chaos. Ken Blanchard wrote a book that's quite famous among uh, people out there in the secular world. It's called The One Minute Manager. And these two authors crisscrossed the country several years ago, and they were talking about what they called the upside-down pyramid, the upside-down pyramid. And basically what this was is this. They were helping organizations, non-Christian organizations, helping business organizations to understand why sometimes their organization can be going like this, and all of a sudden it goes like this. Uh, the pyramid becomes inverted. It's upside-down. And uh, businesses, you know, they scratch their head and they're frustrated. Why is this happening? Why, why is it that we can be going, you know, in a just a great projection out there and all of a sudden it tanks and then it begins to free fall. And so they began talking about the fact as to what happens over time, whether you're a large business or small business, is that at first you are consumed with the customer, right? You, you are meeting the needs of the customer. You're all about their needs and about what they need and, and how you can best meet their needs, and selling a product is all about convincing people they need what you have for convenience in their life, right? Every commercial you've ever heard tells you that you cannot live life fully and faithfully without this product because they want you to purchase the product. But what happens over time is that as businesses get bigger, then they become more ingrown rather than outgrown. Uh, so why is that? Because more people bring more problems into the business, into the workplace, Co-workers aren't getting along, and then there's all kinds of infrastructure problems and difficulties, and consequently, over time, they're spending more time and energy on the infrastructure of the business, and they forget all about the customer. Well, the same thing that happens in businesses also happens in churches. 
When you see a church plant, I'll guarantee you that church plants are very, very concerned about those who are outside the kingdom of God. They're very concerned about the lost. And everything they do, every resource is poured into reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is why new church plants will baptize more people every single year than churches that are established over time. And here's why. Because as you reach people and more and more people come into your church, guess what they bring with them? More and more problems, more and more needs. And so now the church begins to restructure around the needs of the congregation and begins to forget about those who are outside of the kingdom so that now the maximum amount of resources are being spent on helping people inside of the church and people outside of the church just kind of get forgotten. In the Christian world, it's called the John's uh, principle, St. John's a principle, and it's just that, you know, over time, as, as churches get bigger and more complex and complicated, we just tend to forget what Jesus told us our purpose for existence was. And he, did, he wasn't fuzzy about it. He said the purpose, the reason why we exist as a church is to make disciples, and to make a disciple means that you reach somebody with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then you help them engage into, into a body of believers, a local body of church, believers that called the church, and then you help grow them up, and you grow them up, and you send them out. Why? Because they have a huge fishing pond out there of unchurched friends that could be reached with the gospel because here's what happens to Christians over time is that we, the longer you've been a Christian, you have very few unchurched friends, and all you have are Christian friends, and then it's like, well, I, I would make disciples, but I don't have anybody to reach. Everybody I work with are Christians, everybody, my friends are all Christians, I go to, you know, I go to church every week, and therefore we lose, we lose the calling, the sense of the calling, and over time, we begin to lose the sense of what it was like to be lost. And what that feeling was like and what that mindset was like. I, I spent yesterday in, a, in a, uh, a golf outing, and it's a golf outing that I play in every year. It is, is a fundraiser. This, this, there was an individual, his, he and his wife started this about 20 years ago. He had cancer. He's a cancer survivor. So every year he hosts this golf outing, and money is raised to help a family. I think I mentioned this last week, a family who has a child who has cancer. And helps with the medical bills. And so they'll raise $15,000 in one day. And so last year, the young man that we played for and uh, contributed money to was actually there this year, actually playing in the tournament. He's a 12-year-old kid. And this year, we were playing for a 2-year-old who has um, cancer of the eye. And so um, the reason we, we, you know, we, we do this is because you know, it's, it's a fundraiser, right? It's so I don't even know where I was going with all this. Anyways, my lost my train of thought is going to wrapped up in that. Uh, so I played in this outing, and but what I realized is, you know what? There, there are lost people all around me. Trust me, there are lost people all around me. Uh, I, I, I don't know that I've heard such foul language in, in my life anywhere at one given time because we start at eight o'clock. We end, you know, we're done by about one thirty. And people started drinking at 8 o'clock, and they did not stop until 1.30, and, you know, out on the golf course. And the, and the drunker they got, the louder they got, the more foul they got, and it was just a, a situation. Now, you can look at that and say, wow, you know, um, but those people, I mean, you, you can lose compassion for those who are without Christ and, and whose whole life is wrapped around this, this you know, this 
mindset of this is, this is fun and this is what life is about and let's just party till we drop and whether it's on a golf course or wherever. And I'm thinking, how, how can you reach these people who are in this situation? And so the reason Jesus asks us to share our faith is because we, we have been made for a relationship with God. We've been made to become like Christ. We've been made to serve God's purposes, and we've been made to last forever, and therefore Jesus' mission must become our mission. Whether I'm out on a golf course, or I'm at the gym, or I'm in my neighborhood, or wherever I might be, I have to keep in mind that there's a mission field that God has just placed me in for a reason and for a purpose. And so Jesus' mission was what? To seek and to save the lost, to tell people the truth, to give life through the gospel, to shine our light in a dark world, to tell people about the good news of the kingdom of God. His mission needs to become our mission. The question is, how much of Jesus' mission is really still our mission? How how, um, moved are we when God puts us in our own personal mission field to help people to make their next step towards the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we even doing anything about, do we even pray for them that they might come to faith in Christ? And after we pray for them, is there any action that we are taking to help them take their next step? That's, that's what this study is about, is to know that, you know, I'm sitting in a golf cart and, and I'm with two Christian brothers and one person who's with us is not a believer. And I'm thinking to myself, how, how can we show this young man what it's like to be a Christian as opposed to what he is seeing and hearing all around us. So let me give you 10 facts that I hope that will motivate you. You know, Jesus clearly understood his mission on earth. Do you remember at age 12 what happened to Jesus? Got left behind in Jerusalem, remember that? And so that makes me feel Joseph and Mary left Jesus behind, which makes me feel better about my parenting skills. Uh, you know, he's three days. Where, where's Jesus? I don't know. Where. So they go back. They find him, and he's there, you know, debating with the rabbis. And, and when they say, you know, Jesus is like, well, why are you guys so upset? Don't you know I have to be about my father's business? And you fast forward 21 years to where he was on the cross, and he says, it is finished. Those were the bookends of Jesus' life. I have to be about my father's business. I've finished. I've completed the mission the purpose for which God sent me here on planet earth. And Jesus says, now my mission that I brought to completion, I'm handing off to the spiritual body of Christ, the church. Now I want you to continue the mission here on planet earth as long as God gives you breath. And by the way, until you've drawn your last breath, you're still on mission for God. You don't retire from a mission. We might retire from jobs, but we don't retire from a mission. And the reason why God wants to see re, re, human beings redeemed and reconciled to himself is because he wants them to fulfill the very purpose for which he created them. And that is to know him and love him, be a part of his family, and to become like him, to serve him, and to tell others about him. Again, in essence, he, he saves us, and he grows us up, and he sends us out. So here, I hope, are 10 motivating factors for you as well, you know, because there were 10 motivating factors to me that I try to go over these from time to time to re-engage my heart in the lostness of humanity. Number one is if I want to be like Jesus, my life mission must include his life mission. So out of John 17 verse 18, it says, in the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, 
I give them a mission in the world. This is what Jesus was praying to the Father. Circle the word them. Who's the them? We're the them. We're the body of Christ. We are the them. Jesus left heaven and earth and came to earth because people matter to him, so they have to matter to, to us. Only as we begin to value those outside our Christian circles do we truly begin to fulfill and function according to God's purpose for us. Now, here's what I know about us. I'm, I'm, I'm right in the same boat with you. We tend to make armchair assessments about people's usefulness in the eyes of God. Do we not? Like, you, you know, you, you think that person who just cut you off in traffic, God, I ain't got no use for them. Or you think that person maybe who is homosexual, transgender, a prostitute, a homeless person, you can, you can list out what it is for you. Well, God's, not, God's not got no use for them. Is that really true? Absolutely not. That was the exact attitude the Pharisees had in regards to Jesus. When Jesus was hanging around the people who they considered undesirable and spiritually confused and morally bankrupt, they began saying to themselves, why is Jesus talking and eating with and conversing and fellowshipping with these, these sinners? And Jesus knew what they were thinking. And so he launched into three parables, the parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And those three parables had one single message. They gave us three truths and one single message. The truth, first truth was something of great value has been lost. The second truth was that to that which is missing, it's important enough to warrant an all-out search for it. And we're going to search and search until we find it. And retrievals, number three, resulted in what? Rejoicing. Everybody celebrated what was retrieved. And so the Bible says when somebody gives their life to Jesus, that the angels in heaven rejoice over what has transpired and taken place in a person's life. I sometimes carry around a little unpublished list of people I don't think are very important, and sometimes you do too, and it's not that it's a good thing to do, it's, it's just a human thing that we do, but what Jesus was saying in all three of those parables is simply this, every single human being is valuable to God. You've never locked eyes on anyone who was not of extreme value to God. I don't care what the condition of their life is. They're valuable to him. And they should be valuable to us. But quite frankly, how much time do we spend and effort do we spend to try to reach out to the drug addict, the prostitute, the homosexual, the transgender, the homeless, the poor, and the list can go on and on and on. Jesus said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what it, this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know that both the older and the younger brother in the parable, the prodigal son, was the template the apostle Paul used to write Romans 1 and 2. The younger son that was depicted about the kid who just wanted his inheritance, and then took it and squandered it on prostitutes and every lascivious thing he could find. I mean, every, every evil thing he could think of and, and desire and want, he did it until he ran out of all of his money. 
And Paul says, that, that's, that was us. Romans chapter 1, he says, man, this is us. This is, this is why we need the gospel. But then we look at the older brother who, who finds out that his brother's returned and the father's throwing him a party and he says, what, what's with the party? I, you've never thrown a party for me. I've been here. I've, I've done everything you asked me to do. And how many of you have ever felt like the older son? Like, man, we, I, mom, dad, I, I followed every rule. I followed every command. And, you know, this sibling over here of mine who's rebellious and it seems like you pay more attention to them than you do me. And you f- kind of feel like the, okay, I can kind of relate with the older brother a little bit. But you don't, what Paul says in Romans chapter 2 is that he was just as lost as the younger son. They both needed saved. And so in Romans chapter 2, Paul paints the picture of how religious people are also lost. Your religion is not what saves you. Jesus is who saves you. And it's not Jesus plus my religion. It's not Jesus plus rule keeping. It's not Jesus plus my good works. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. This is what so frustrated Martin Luther, the founder of the Protestant Reformation. He says, as a, he says I, I can't believe this, God. You've given me all these rules to follow, and I can't follow these rules. How can I follow these rules? And it's just so frustrating. And so he was just angry at God because God gave these rules that we cannot possibly keep. And then it finally dawned on him when he was reading in Romans. Well, we're not saved by keeping the law. We're not saved by doing good works. We're saved by Faith alone and Christ alone. And so Paul went on to spell out that the religious obedience looks godly on the surface, but it's really a form of idolatry. They find their self-worth and their morality. They find their savior and their rule-keeping. They worship their goodness because their goodness will save them, but that is not true. I just want you to understand, God doesn't rescue perfect people. He rescues people in need. And we're all there. So it doesn't matter where you are on the scale of value in your eyes or where other people are. Everyone is valuable to God. People with nothing to fix have nothing to say to God. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, those who are poor in spirit, those who are mourning, those who are meek, those are the ones who are blessed. Why? Because they can be filled. They can be comforted. They can be helped. He never said blessed are those who have their act together If nothing is broken, nothing can be fixed. And we are drawn to the gospel message because we have problems. My life was an absolute wreck, which is what drew me to the power of the gospel. And perhaps it was that way for you. Number two, Jesus expects me to continue his mission. This is not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. Jesus didn't say, do this if you, have, if you can fit it in your schedule. He said, this is a command. This is what I want you to do. This needs to be the purpose for which we exist because it was Jesus' purpose. Again, Jesus had a physical body. He was limited to a physical space. And now we are, Jesus has a spiritual body called the church. And now the church is around the world. God's, Jesus' presence is around the world because that's where the church is. And when your kids are small, I don't know about you, but when you really want to get them to get something that's important to you, you keep repeating it, Right? Repetition is the key to learning. You want to teach children, you want to teach even adults. You got to keep repeating, repeating, repeating. Do you know that Jesus five times, five separate occasions, gave the five command, command, commissions of, of Christ 
They're all saying the same thing. Why did they do it five times? Why couldn't he just say it once and the disciples get it? Because they didn't. They didn't get it the first time. They didn't get it the second time. They didn't get it the third time. They didn't get it the fourth time. They didn't even get it the fifth time, which is all the way in the book of Acts. So in every single gospel, Jesus, on a different occasion, said the same thing, reiterating the same purpose for which we exist. And here they are. It says, therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them, Father, Son. This is the mo- one that we know the most, right? Teach them, obey all the command you, surely I'm with you all the way, always to the very end of the age. But then in the Gospel of Mark, you are to go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone, everywhere. What is the good news? The good news is the gospel. With my authority, Luke 24, take this message of repentance to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who turn to me. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now, Jesus had given them the commission four times, and then when Jesus was buried and he, re- he was resurrected, for 40 days he spent time with the disciples. You know what the disciples wanted to know? Hey, Lord, when are you coming back? When, when's this all come to climax? When are you coming back? And Jesus says, I don't want to talk about prophecy. I don't want to talk about the time that I'm coming back. I just want you to know you need to be on mission until I get back. And here's why. And so he just reiterates the same commission. And so in this five commissions, he covers where we are to do it, when we are to do it, and why we are to do it. He gives to us the mandate for life, the message for life, the method, the motivation. Jesus is saying, listen, make my mission matter to you. It's not optional. The only question is, are you being obedient to it or not? That's how important it is to him. It's what he reiterated over and over, right before his ascension. He says it over again. Guys, this is my mission. Carry it on. I'm empowering you with the Holy Spirit. I'm enabling you and equipping you to do what I'm asking you to do, even though it looks impossible. And so when you look at the picture of Jesus on earth, it was about the will of the Father and he, as he went through the, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And prayer was always the link between the Father's will and the Son's work on earth. Well, the same thing is true now. Jesus went back into heaven and Jesus wants to work through us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And prayer is the link between the power of the Holy Spirit and fulfilling God's work in our day and time. Number three, sharing the good news is my responsibility. Ezekiel has a very interesting verse that says, You must warn them so they may live. If you, if you don't speak out to warn the wicked to stop their evil ways, they will die in their sin. But I will hold you responsible for their death. He says, I'm responsible to share with those around me, right? I, I can't make this somebody else's responsibility. I'm responsible. If I'm a follower of Jesus and if I'm an ambassador in the kingdom of Christ, I'm responsible to share the good news. I'm not, listen, I'm not responsible for their decision. I'm just responsible for the message. I I can't save someone. You can't save anyone. You're not going to argue somebody into the kingdom. You know, we have this... We have this thought in our mind that, you know, when I engage in conversation that, you know, if I could just answer everybody's questions they have and I, I would give them that zinger answer and boom, they would make that decision for Christ or, or you know, if I could just give them this, is this one thing that would help them. No, 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 no. Stop, stop, stop. Share the message, right? Share your story. Share the message. Let the Holy Spirit do what only he can do. 
which is bring conviction, draw, you know, pull the scales off their eyes. You, you've been praying strategically for them up to that point, and therefore now he's prepared their heart, and it might be through a series of events. It might be, you know, it might be an event like having a child. Do you know that many couples are very open to the gospel when their first baby is born? Just as they are as open to the gospel when they experience stressful things like the death of a spouse or the death of a parent or a sibling or even a child. And so God can work through any event that's happening in a person's life. What we need to be is Jesus to them in character and in conversation. Paul says, telling the good news is my duty, something I must do. And how terrible it would be for me if I do not tell the good news. So if I'm a Christian, my my mission is not optional. It's just not optional. Number four, sharing the good news. We should consider it a privilege, right? And God has given us the privilege of urging everyone to come into his favor and reconcile to him. This is a wonderful message he's given us to tell others. We are Christ's ambassador. You know what an ambassador is? It is a representative of a foreign country with all the rights and the privileges of that country that they are representing. We are a we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God, and God has given us all the rights and the privileges of his kingdom, which is why Jesus said to we, the church, I've given you the keys of the kingdom, the right to bind and to loosen that which God has bound and which God has loosened. So Paul said in Romans 1.16 that I'm, I'm proud of the good news because it is the power of God to save everyone who believes. So let me put it in this context about being a privilege. Um, I realize there are a lot of other areas of service and ministry the church needs to be involved in. We should do whatever we can to impact social, political, economic situations for this wor- in this world for Christ. But let me clarify this issue. If a person is poor, that's bad. And, and we do things to help the poor. Our church does it. Our association does it. That's what the Stowe Center is all about. If a person is poor, that is, that's bad. But you can recover from poverty. If somebody loses their job, being without a job, I know is stressful. It's not something anyone wants or desires. And it's bad. But you can recover from unemployment if somebody is without housing and we find them living under a bridge somewhere and, you know, that's bad and we can do everything we can to help them, but you can recover from homelessness. There are a lot of things you can recover from. You may have a, you know, we may run across somebody who has a terrible home situation and it might be there's abuse in the home and we'll do everything we can to leverage every resource possible to help that child in that situation But you can recover from bad home situations. However, men and women who die without knowing Jesus Christ have been hit with such a blow, they will never recover from for all of eternity. That's why Jesus kept at the forefront, as well as the Apostle Paul, the gospel because the power of God unto salvation. Because apart from salvation through Jesus Christ, there is no eternal home in heaven, regardless of what society tells you. It's faith alone in Christ alone that saves us and enables us to be a part of God's family, God's kingdom, and his eternal home in heaven. So what's important to Jesus must be important to us 
And we ought to consider it a privilege that God would even use us to do that. You know, every week you probably go to a filling station. And what do you do? You fill up your car's tank. And then you do what? You leave, right? You don't stay there. You leave and you go out and do what you need to do. You go to work. You drive to work. or You drive to f- your kids to sports. You know, there's their baseball practice or whatever pra- they're doing, volleyball or soccer, hockey, all those kinds of things we take our kids to. So, you know, you don't, you don't fill up your car and sit in the filling station and say, you know what, car, you are so full and satisfied right now. Let's just sit here and just bask in our fullness and wait. And yet, if we're not careful, we can come to our churches every week and sit in our worship services and feed off of the worship, gobble up the message, stuff ourselves with fellowship, and say, you know what? I'm so satisfied. Let's just stay here. Come, Jesus, come. When there's a world out there that's heading to hell and nobody's telling them. Unless it's us. Unless it's God's people, God's ambassadors, we're it. Where is no plan B? I know a lot of you, you know, there's a reasons why, and I'll talk about these probably next week, uh, why you're afraid to share the gospel. Uh, as we talk about, you know, sh- crafting your story in the gospel, uh, I'll share with you five reasons why most people are fearful of sharing the gospel. And one of those is, and I've heard many, many times, is, well, but pastor, you don't understand. I'm not sure what to say. What if I say the wrong thing and they don't get saved? Well, let me ask you a question. Where are you sending them to? Hell number two? Like, can't happen, right? Listen, you have a story. You have a message. If nothing else, you have your testimony, how you came to faith in Christ and what was going on in your life and what brought you to that moment in time and and how you had that experience and how they can have that. God's given you life experiences, all kinds of life experiences where God's interacted with you in your life that you can bring to the table as you're telling people about, about Jesus. Listen, God feeds us so that we can grow and become strong and go out and tell everyone else where they can find the banquet. That's our calling. Number five, I'm grateful for what Jesus has done for me. I don't know, I'm so grateful for what Jesus, remember that in the past he says you were without Christ, you had no hope, and you did not know God. So sometimes we forget how good the good news really is, right? When you didn't know Christ, it was miserable, it was a hopeless life. Maybe you were saved when you're really, really young, and you know it's like, well, you know, I just didn't experience all that because it happened when I was really. I get that, I understand that, but certainly you know in your own life the painful things you've, stressful things that you've experienced day in and day out because you live in a fallen world among fallen people, and how God can bring you strength and comfort and hope and encouragement and all those things you receive from the body of Christ as they. They, they come around you and they pray for you and encourage you and help you in life's most difficult situations. And that's what you can bring to the world that they don't have. They may have some family members that might stick with them for a while, but uh, it's, it's, it's just different. You know, if I had the cure for cancer and didn't tell anybody, never shared it with anybody, I would be considered a criminal. If I had the cure for AIDS and never shared with anyone about it, I'd be considered a criminal. How can we... How can we hold within us 
the gospel of Jesus Christ to how to know God, how to have a relationship, how to enter into to heaven and hold that within us and never share it, that's criminal. Now, I know there's a lot of reasons why we struggle with that, and we'll get, we'll get in that next week. Number six, because people are hopelessly lost without Christ. Jesus is the only one who can save, Acts 4, 12. He is the name. He is the only, his name is the only power in the world that has given, been given to save people. We must be saved through him. Anyone who calls on the Lord will be saved, before, but before people can ask the Lord for help, they must believe in him, and before they can believe in him, they must hear about him, and for them to hear about the Lord, someone must, must tell them. And so here's where I, I get pushback, um, sometimes from Christians, but oftentimes, especially from unbelievers. But I, I think Christians stumble over this as much as unbelievers do, although you, you probably wouldn't admit it. Here's, here's the pushback I get. But what about those who have never had the opportunity to hear and to understand the gospel? How can God hold them accountable for that which they have never heard nor understood? So let me close out this morning by answering that question. It's an important question. It's a question that will be probably brought up to you. Maybe you thought it. Maybe it's somebody's asked you that question, and you're like, uh, okay, right. So uh, let's consider the person who, who doesn't know anything about Christ, but they respond to the spiritual light that God has given them through general revelation. What's general re re Revelation. Well, Romans chapter 1 says that all of creation screams there is a God, there is a creator. There is someone out outside of time, space, and matter that started all of this, even though it's gone wrong, started all of this, and so that is a general revelation, there is a God. So what does humanity do with that general revelation? Rather than acknowledging there is a God who created all things, they suppress the truth. Right? I don't want to acknowledge that because I don't want to be responsible to him. I don't want him calling shots in my life. This is all a part of the fallout of, of Adam and Eve. There's five major fallouts. That's one of them. And so people, Paul said, they just suppress the truth. They, just act, they would rather worship creation itself than the creator. And so then we become open to all kinds of theories and different, uh, you know, suggestions as to either there's not a God or there's a God that's out there, he's all powerful, but he's not loving, or he's all loving, but he's not powerful, or we just believe in evolution, and we're just all, you know, we're accident, and it's just a big bang, and it just all happened by accident, and on and on it goes, because we're suppressing the truth. Then the second general revelation is your conscience. People instinctively know right from wrong. People, you, know, you violate your conscience, and you know you have violated your conscience. And so these are the two, two general revelations. So here's a person who um, responds to either general, you know, the creation or their conscience. Maybe it's both of them. But they just realize there's a God. They don't know who God is. They don't know what to call him. They don't know what his name is. But they just realize, they just believe in their heart that, you know what, this isn't all there is to life. And why do they have that? Because Ecclesiastes 3.11 says God's put eternity in, in humanity's hearts. We just know there's something out there beyond us, bigger than us. And so 
if that, that person says, you know, I really want to know this God, God says, listen, they're responding to the light through general revelation. And God says, I will take up responsibility to give them even more light, greater light, greater understanding, because they're not suppressing the truth. They're not pushing it down, acting like it's not there. They say, no, I want to know this God that I know is out there. And God says, I will be responsible. I'll be personally responsible to make sure they get greater light. Now, there's one of three ways that God can do this. In fact, Jer- Hebrews 11:6 says, God is the rewarder of those who will seek him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you, you will seek me and you will find me when you search me with all your heart. God says, I'll make sure they find me if you're searching and not suppressing. Here's the first way. And this is, this is the spiritual principle that has worked. When people respond to what they do know of God, he takes personal responsibility for giving them more information about himself. And the most obvious way is what? He sends somebody with the word of God. Right? Is this not what God did in the book of Acts with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? This Ethiopian eunuch, he knew there was a God. He's in Jerusalem. He's at the temple. He's worshiping. He didn't really understand about this God who he's worshiping. And he's reading out of Isaiah. And God put on the heart of what? Philip, a deacon. Hey, go. I've got somebody ready, prepared. He gets there and he sees him and where he's reading. And he stops and he says, can you help me understand this? And so God sent a messenger to give greater light to this Ethiopian eunuch who who was seeking God. And so all the time, listen, if if we are listening, if we are paying attention, if our eyes are open and our ears are in tune, there are people all around us seeking God, seeking more information about God, but we are keeping our mouths shut. And it's not that you have to just all, you know, okay, now I'm just going to sit down and, you know, give them the gospel right out of the bat. No, you know. No, you sit down, and one of the things I want you to do this week is I want you to start tuning in and listening to people. Listen to their story. Everyone has a story, and they love to tell their story. I'm telling you, they love to tell their, and they're not even embarrassed about some of the stories they tell you. No, you're like, ooh, whoa, hey, uh, TMI, TMI. No, they want, they love to hear stories. They love to tell their story. I want you to listen to what they're saying, not Watch this. Don't listen because you're formulating in your mind normally like you do to give them a response. And when you've already formulated your response, you cut them off and stop listening to them. I want you to listen to their story because there is a story behind the story. We're not there to argue with them. We're not there to tell them they're wrong or they're a dirty, rotten sinner Listen to their story. You know how I find a lot of stories with people? From their tattoos. That's a beautiful tattoo. Tell me, what's the story behind that? It's amazing. People have stories behind their tattoos. It opens up all kinds of opportunities for you to engage in people's lives Because you're just listening to their story, and then you can bring the word of God into, you know, do you mind if I, you know, I've had a similar experience. Do you mind if I share my experience with you? It's amazing. People, yeah, I'd love to hear your story. That's the first way. The second way is this. 
It is also possible that apart from someone bringing the word of God, that God will supernaturally reveal himself to a seeking heart. The number one way that we are finding that Muslims all around the world are coming to faith in Christ because God is giving them dreams and visions about Jesus. Now, they don't know him. They don't understand what they're having, but they're then seeking, who can tell me what this is about? This has happened to me. And when I, in my office, led a Muslim man to the Lord Jesus Christ, God had given him a vision that one day he would be sitting across from a white man who was going to tell them, tell him about a savior that he did not know, did not understand, but he wanted to know more. Well, imagine that. What do you share? The gospel? Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you why he came. Let me tell you what he's done for you. Let me tell you what God has for you. Do you know that many of our missionaries come off the field and go, who go into remote tribes and they tell people about Jesus? And here's what the tribesmen say. You know what? We've been worshiping him for a long time. We just didn't know what to call him. See, God takes responsibility to bring more light where there is a lack of light. Here's the third way that God can deal with someone in grace. And he can apply another dispensation to the criteria that involves them. A dispensation is simply a, the economy or the administration of, a, uh, of God in the way that he deals with somebody. So, for example, when people were saved in the Old Testament, how were they saved? Well, had Jesus been born? No. Did they know Jesus' name? No. But they did know that there was going to come one day a Messiah. All the way back in Genesis 3.15, what did God say? There will come one day a seed, and that seed is going to grow into the Messiah who will crush the serpent and bring salvation to humanity. And so... Um, that's why in Abraham, it says that Abraham, the promised seed, the promised son, he says he believed God's revelation and God credited him as righteousness as though he were saved long before the Mosaic law, long before the sacrificial system. That's always been God's way. Here's the light, Abraham. Trust me in the light. Follow the light. And he said, I will do that, Lord. I will do that. And God says, I'm crediting you that as righteousness, as salvation. And so if there are those who are out there in various, we know that there's over 6,000 different language, speaking languages, uh, tribes of, of different languages that are unreached, in which our, our, um, our convention, our international mission board is trying very hard to reach those unreached people groups. But they've never seen Jesus. They've never heard of Jesus. But they're searching and they're searching Listen, I'm not saying that people can be saved apart from Christ. They can't. However, everybody is saved through Christ, even those who believe, who live before Jesus because they had the mind and the heart of God. Listen, Christ and what he did here on earth for humanity and our sin, he did it. Listen, it was in, the, in God's mind, it was already completed before he ever created the heavens and the earth. He said, what? Before the foundation of the world, God had in his mind what he was going to do. And so in that dispensation in the Old Testament, how were they saved? They were saved on the basis of God's revelation, the light that he gave them, and they believed in that, and they trusted in that, and they walked after that, 
and that was credited to them as righteousness. I'm just simply saying that in the case of a person who never hears the gospel and never knows the name of Jesus, but who responds to the light that he has, God treats that person like an Old Testament saint, if you will. If they're sincerely seeking God and desiring to know him and to respond to the truth he knows, if there's no missionary, no direct manifestation of God, then God judges that person based on their faith in the amount of light they have received, whatever that is. We say, well, if that's the case, then why, why would we take the gospel to anyone? Because that's what Jesus told us to do. They need to know, they need to hear, that's our commission. But if for some unknown reason they have never heard, but they're seeking after God, and the best they get is general revelation, creation in their conscience, and they never hear, and they're putting their faith and trust in that, God treats them as though they were in another dispensation, and he, he encapsules them in his grace. That's why Revelation, watch this, 7, 9 says, John said he saw people from every nation and all tribes and all peoples and all tongues in heaven. How is that possible? Because we know that not every tribe, tongue, or language on earth today has been reached by our missionaries, nor has it ever happened in the history of this earth. Because of general revelation, God reaching out in grace because they're seeking the knowledge they have and God will never let anyone who sincerely seeks him fall by the wayside. Listen, and I close with this. God, listen, God is not some monster in heaven who gleefully throwing people to the pits of hell. The Bible says it's not his desire that anyone perish, but all come under repentance. Because that's just the kind of God he is. And so his mission is our mission. And I hope that we are motivated move forward in that mission. We'll finish this up next week and, and move into the next section, but let's pray. Father, again, we are so, so thankful um, and appreciative of your plan. God, we don't always understand it. We, we don't always comprehend it, but we thank you that you allow us to be a part of it. Thank you for giving us a story to share. Our story of life with the Lord Jesus, our story with life with you day in and day out. God, we are so incredibly blessed. So incredibly blessed. When we think about the world around us and, and all that's happening in our world in this day and time, at this moment in time, it's just a, it's a mess. It's, it's crumbling around us. But Lord, you said it was going to be that way when you began to be begin drawing things to a conclusion here on planet earth that things were going to be like the times of Noah and we're, we're marching that way Lord we understand that we know that time is limited and whether I have five days or five years or whatever time I got Father I, I pray for myself I pray for our church I pray for everyone who's listening whether online or here live in person that we know that as long as we are breathing we have a mission it's not done yet, and it will not be completed until we leave, until we leave this planet, at least our portion of it. And that mission will carry on until that last spiritual brick has been placed in your temple, and you call the saints home, and tribulation begins, and then Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom here on planet Earth. 
And everything that you said would unfold, it happens. Because you're sovereign. You're sovereign. You are in control of all things. But Lord, I thank you that you are. I thank you that you are. I thank you that you took my life that was a wreck, so messed up, and you brought order out of chaos, and we pray that for this world. Father, for the day that you bring order out of chaos. But we know that every single person, every single human being on this earth is valuable to you, important to you. God, may they be important to us, the people that we rub shoulders with week in and week out. God, may you burn our hearts for them. And may you put a burning passion within us and will not let us go until we have done something about that passion, that conviction, that that burden for those whom you've placed in our hearts, the people we see day in and day out. May they become important to us. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.